Well, good morning and happy new year. It's great to join uh, together with you and start the new year uh, in God's Word together and worshiping Him. Um, you can start opening in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Uh, I always like taking a week uh, or sometimes two at the beginning of the new year to reflect on uh, what it means for us to be Christians and to be growing Christians, Christians that are seeking to know Christ better, to follow Him more closely. Uh, many of us uh, are thinking about New Year's resolutions or, or goals for the year. Some of you have probably uh, done some of that. Maybe you've written some things down. You've, you've had some talks about what this year should look like. And, and uh, I like doing that. Ashley and I take a little bit of time at the beginning of every year and we get away and we spend time thinking and praying and planning and scheduling. And, um, and, and so uh, growth is on the mind. Uh, the future is on the mind. What's this year going to be like? Those questions uh, come before us and we start evaluating our lives and we start thinking, well, what are we going to do this year? And so uh, in the spirit of uh, desiring this year to be one of growth, I, I want to take some time out of the, the Gospel of Mark and, and take a look at a church in Acts, the growing church, the early church there in Acts chapter 2. And uh, before we jump into the text, uh, I want to start with the story of a king. You would find this king in Second Chronicles chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. He was a king of Judah. He's one of the few kings that is described positively. Those of you in the men's equipping group, as you've read through the kings, you know that most of these guys were not described positively. They were not good kings. But this king, is said. Uh, it said this of him, his name was Asa. And Asa, it says in verse 2 of chapter 14 of Second Chronicles, that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. It was a great start to his reign, and he got some good things done while he was king. He's described as a strong, godly leader. In verse 4 of the same chapter, it says, He commanded Judah to seek the Lord the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. Here, he's described as a great leader, leading his whole nation to follow the Lord and to keep the law. He was opposed to idolatry in his nation. In much of his reign, he's, he's putting away idols. He's tearing down places of false worship. He's encouraging his people to know the truth and to live according to it. It's the kind of leader that any of us would want to follow. But a few chapters later, as it begins to describe the end of his life, things begin to go downhill. Chapter 16, verses 11 and 12 say this, that the acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, this is toward the very end, it says Asa was diseased in his feet. It's not a good way to come to the end of your life. You get this disease in his feet. It says his disease became severe. And then it has these kind of sad words to describe how he ended things. It says, yet, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. You say, what happened? 
He did not seek the Lord, but he sought help from physicians. Well, earlier there's described a moment in his life where he's in this military conflict. And there's before him, really in his own mind, there's these options. I can trust the Lord, that the Lord will be my my warrior king, that he will fight for me and that I can trust him and he will deliver me. Or there's these nations over here that I can make an alliance with and, and they will help me. And they can help me win the battles I want to win. And rather than trusting in the Lord, the king looks to these foreign nations and he puts his trust in these foreign nations to help him fight his battles. And that was the beginning. Because when a, when, when a prophet came to confront him, hey, you're not trusting in the Lord anymore, you're trusting in the nations, he actually had that prophet uh, tossed into prison. And so by the time he comes to the end of his life, He's not seeking the Lord for anything anymore. He even will get this disease in his feet and he's not even going to ask the Lord for help. He's not even praying to the Lord. In fact, it says that he sought help from physicians and did not seek the Lord. What a sad way to end your life. I mean, here's a man who started great, right? He started uh, on the right path, a strong leader leading his nation. He's He's leading these people to know the word and to worship God and to tear down idols. And at the end of his life, he is old. (laughs) He is diseased. He's sick. And he's not even trusting the Lord to the point where he'll pray. A good start doesn't always mean a strong finish. A good start doesn't always mean you finish the way you thought you would. A good man can finish poorly. Some Christians, I think we need to take this to heart, change not for the better in their lives. They're changing with age and they trust God less. And they worry more. And they stress more. And they become more uptight and more rigid and more easily angered. Their hearts grow harder Their perspective narrows. They talk more about the good old days and complain more about these ones. And maybe they're like the king in his old age, even refusing because of disappointments, because of, you name it, difficulties in life that have left them cold. Now they won't even seek the Lord, even at the end, when it's hard. But there are other types of Christians that are given to us as examples in Scripture that are the opposite of this. They're like fine wine. They get better with age. They smile more. They complain less. They pray more. Every year seems to add another layer of wisdom and kindness and friendliness. They're not worried about anything. They laugh at the days to come. They're gentle with those who are hurting and suffering Even with sinners, they're patient and kind and tender. They adore their church family. They pray for their grandkids. They take risks for Jesus even though they're in their old age. Their speech is gracious. Their theme is humility. And you sense when you talk to them that they have a longing to honor their Lord Jesus and to be with Him. We're always changing, aren't we? We're always changing. We're always encountering problems every day and responding to them. 
encountering difficulties, encountering people, encountering issues, and we're making choices in how we respond to these things. And every little choice we make, it has a subtle imprint that it puts upon us. These things are shaping us. How we respond to what life is throwing at us is changing us. We are not immutable like God. We are mutable creatures, changeable creatures. The question is never, are you changing? The question is, how are you changing? How are you changing? How did 2020 shape you? How did you respond to what it threw at you this year? Did it make you more like Christ? More trusting? More humble? More dependent? More kind? More gentle? Or did it do some other things? I think we need to have a healthy fear of the reality that we are changeable people. I think we need to have a healthy awareness that this can happen in us. And that's why I like to take some of this time at the beginning of the year to think about change. How are we going to change in the new year? How are we going to pursue growth in Christ in the new year? How are we going to pursue the things that really matter? Are we, Grace Rancho, going to be a growing church in 2021? I'm not talking about numbers. I'm not talking more people showing up and and listening to sermons. I'm talking about Are we going to be a church that's growing into Christ-likeness? Growing in holiness? Growing in obedience? Growing in our understanding of what the Lord has for us? Before the church is a growing number of people, it's been said, it's a number of growing people. So are you growing as a Christian? If you were to pause for a second at the beginning of this year and take inventory on your own life, Would you be able to answer to the question, are you growing? Would you be able to answer, yes, I'm growing. The Lord is at work in my life, in my mind, in my heart. He's he's growing me. Because we're going to look at a growing church, but I want us to always keep in mind that though this is a picture of a church, a church is comprised of individuals, right? Individual Christians. Those of us who have repented of our sins and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and now gather together regularly, we are a church here and we if the church is to be growing in christ likeness individuals need to be growing in christ likeness and so we're going to look at the picture of a growing church and we're going to see a picture of what we want to be but i want us to not sit here and go cool well that's a great picture of a growing church i want us to then also ask the question well how can i be a growing christian and how can i help us be a growing church i want you to turn your bibles you're in there in acts 2 We're going to look at verses 42 to 47. Let me just give you a little context before we read verses 42 to 47. Uh, Peter stands up to preach at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. There's a whole bunch of Jews in Jerusalem there gathered. And Peter preaches to them. And I'll just tell you what happens. We'll look at a little bit of what he preaches uh, later on in the sermon. But he preaches this sermon about the death and resurrection of Christ. The whole group there is cut to the heart. They're pierced there. They say, what do we do? He says, repent and be baptized. This is verse 38. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And a whole bunch of them right then and there, they repent. They get baptized in this new church. Verse 41 says, those who received his word were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then this little section begins to describe what this growing church is like. This new church that God, by his spirit, brought into existence is now described And there are a few points in Acts where Luke, the author of Acts, shows us the picture of what this church is like, 
because it is exemplary for the modern church. So we learn what a church should be like from reading the book of Acts. Now we come in verse 42 to describe what it is this church is like. Let's read it. You follow along, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to see how this church is growing. I want to point out to you how this church is growing. And I want to do that in a way that it will be familiar for many of you. If you have gone through our equipping matters and discipleship track and the partner stuff, some of the things we're going to see is going to resonate with you and you'll have already heard this. But I think this is vital to continually be bringing up to our church. Uh, Repeating truth is necessary for spiritual growth. So we need to hear these things again and again and again. And here's the first thing we're going to see. If you look at verse 42, these brand new believers, these baby Christians, as they gather together, what are they devoted to? What are they giving themselves to? What are they committed to prioritizing? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's the first direction of growth we see happening in this early church is the church is growing downward into doctrine. Like a tree that before it can grow upward into the heights, it has to have some roots. So here, this church is growing downward into doctrine. You see, where's that? Well, the fact that they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching shows that these Christians were prioritizing the Word of God. The apostles' teachings. You say, what's that? The apostles' teachings are Jesus' teachings. Jesus promised in John chapter 14 that he would uh, give the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit's ministry would be with the apostles to aid them to recall all that Jesus taught them. And so these apostles, as they write down these things in the New Testament that we have today, what we actually have are Jesus' teachings. When they are devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, they're devoting themselves really to the Word of Christ, the Word of God. This church is the mark of every healthy church. It is the mark of every growing church. It is the mark of every growing Christian is devoted to the Word of God, committed to the Word of God, wants to grow deeper in their understanding of the Word of God. They're not content to be shallow with the Word of God. They want to know the truth. The church, guys, we've got to be this way, right? We've got to be the place that is announcing the Word of God. Who else is going to do it? Mainstream media is not having anything to do with the Word of God. They categorically undermine the authority of God's Word. Most institutions of higher learning are, are not only, they're not neutral, they're anti-God's Word. The Word of God is not only ignored, it's attacked. Many of the scholars of our world vilify Scripture. They don't want anything to do with it. Celebrities mock it. The masses of the world ignore it. It's 
described as old and archaic and irrelevant and passé. Why would you devote yourself to this book written by men who lived in caves, who had no idea what an iPhone was? Why should we listen to them? It's expected that the world would have such a low view of Scripture. Let me ask you this question. How many churches are sliding away from faithfulness to the Word of God? Of all the places in the world, shouldn't the church of the Lord Jesus Christ be the place where His Word is cherished and taught and obeyed? How many churches are no longer committed to the full teaching of God's Word? How many churches are deviating in these ways, unwilling to talk about some of the harder things because it might be seen as offensive? Friends, a church that deviates from the Word of God, that it's no longer committed to the, the apostolic Word, the, the, the Word of God given to us in the Scriptures, the church that deviates that is actually a destructive force in society. You realize that? It's not neutral. It's, it's not like, well, at least they're a church. No, a, a church that's, that's moving from Scripture and is teaching false gospels that are not faithful to what the Word says are harmful for a community. I remember I was visiting a hospital uh, many years ago. It was part of the ministry of uh, the church that we were at back in Simi, and we would go to a hospital that was across the street, and we'd go visit uh, different people who were who asking for someone spiritual to come visit them. Uh, and, and we just signed up. And, and part of the protocol is as we went in there, they asked us to ask uh, if they had any kind of faith, any kind of religion. And I remember going into this one room, and it was an old lady. She was old enough to be my grandmother. I asked if I could pray for her. And immediately she launched into this story, this long story of her life. Uh, she had been married young. Uh, her husband cheated on her in her bitterness. She got in a relationship with another guy. Uh, together they enlisted themselves in a, life, a whole life of pursuit of sin and indulgence, drugs and alcohol and the party scene and everything else that comes along with that. And all through the 80s and 90s, this, this is how she lived. As she described this to me, my heart was breaking. I was moved with grief. And then she went on to tell me the reason that she was in the hospital was because she had been overdosing on drugs. She was uh, completely lost. Uh, she, her life had been given over to pursuit of indulgent sin. And here she is nearing the end of her life. And um, I, I'm here pray, asking if I can pray for her. And I, I asked her, do you, do you have a religion? Are you, you spiritual at all? And she smiled. First smile I'd seen on her face. And she says, of course I'm a born-again Christian. I went, really? Tell me how you got saved. And she went on to recount how she had heard the preacher on the television. And I immediately recognized the name. And I knew that this person did not preach the gospel. Did not preach a clear gospel of who God is and what sin is and how to be reconciled to God through Christ. And she went on to tell me how she felt the undeniable feeling of the presence of God as this person had preached. And I sat there and reflected on the sadness of this whole situation. Here is an old woman who had given her life to following the passions of the flesh to the point where it had almost killed her. But she was all along the way duped into believing that she was right with God because she had embraced some false gospel 
that some televangelists had given her. Churches that slide away from the Word of God and preach a message that's not from the Scriptures. They're not neutral in a community. They're harmful to a community. They hurt a community. And so if we're going to be a church that's faithful, what do we do? We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We don't deviate. We try our best to teach the full counsel of God. And so if a church is going to be growing, it must be devoted. And that doesn't just mean the preacher up front is devoted to the Word of God. That means the church itself. That means you as well. Are you devoted to the Word of God? Have you grown cold in your devotion to Scripture? This morning, there are some fathers here who will gather their children around the dinner table sometime this week. What will he teach his family? There's a mother who's going to tuck in her frightened kids. What will she say to them? Some of you will be called, and you're a good, trustworthy friend, so you're going to have someone call you. They're going to ask for help. They're going to want your counsel. What kind of counsel do you have for them? Some of us will sit at a bedside of a dying person, or we'll be asked to teach a, or preach at a, a funeral, or we'll be asked to give counsel to a grieving friend. What will it be that you share with them? I hope we won't be the kind of people that just ramble off the latest thing that we've heard, the latest human opinion that we've grabbed and latched onto, but that we will be people who are saturated with truth, that we're soaking in the Word. So when the times come that we're speaking to one another, especially these critical moments where we're offering help, counsel, support, we're not just pulling things out of thin air, that we're actually have not cliches, but we have true content from Scripture. That we are devoted to the Word of God if we want to be a growing church like this church. We will be a people who devote themselves, commit themselves to the Word of God. So let me ask you, how are you going to kindle the fires of your own heart this year to love the Word of God more? How are you going to stoke the flame? so that you appreciate Scripture more, so that it's more in your bloodstream, so that it's coming out of your mouth when you give people your thoughts on things? Will you commit to a reading plan maybe this year? Will you commit to memorize portions of Scripture this year? Will there be someone in the church family that you'll ask for help to hold you accountable? A growing church is growing downward into doctrine because they want to know the God they serve. They want to know the God they worship. They want to know what God requires of them. They want to know how to love other people. And all those answers are found in Scripture. That's not where it ends. Let's look at the second direction of growth. This church is growing upward into worship. As the understanding of truth goes deep, as they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, you see that these people are also God-centered. They want God to receive glory. You see that at the end of verse 42. They're devoted also to prayers. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. That word awe could be translated fear. The Greek word is phobos or phobos. It's the idea that the fear of God is overtaking the whole church. 
as they encounter these amazing truths, they encounter the reality of who God is and His power, they're filled with awe and wonder and holy fear. You see there in verse 47, they're praising God and having favor with all the people. See, everything that they're learning is going upward into prayer, into the fear of the Lord, into the praise, into thankfulness. This is what we need in our church, isn't it? It's not just that we grow in our understanding of the Word of God or our commitment to the truths of Scripture. It is also that as we encounter these things, they are immediately translated into praise and worship and prayer. We need, we, we cannot be, we must not be the kind of church that gets so filled with doctrine but has no love. It grows downward into doctrine but doesn't care about their heart being moved, the affections being touched. We've got to grow upward into worship. See, these people, as they studied the apostles' teachings, it didn't result in pride. It resulted in wonder. It didn't puff them up. They didn't become smug as a result of their studies. Your friends, as a church in 2021 and in the years to come, we want to be a church that cherishes doctrine. Uh, we don't shy away from trying to talk and teach sound doctrine, to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We want to mine the depths of Scripture and talk about the intricacies of divine truth. We want to do that. We want to discuss the nature of the atonement and wrestle with the questions, the big questions, human suffering or the paradox of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. We, we, we don't shy away from these doctrines. We'll be giving away books, right? Like we always do. Encouraging you to be learning and growing in your understanding of the truths that the Scriptures teach. But the question facing us this year is this. Will we be in awe of Christ? Will we stand in awe of our Savior like this church is? Will the learning result in prayer, in praise, in fear, in awe, in wonder as it is in this church? I like what the old seminary president, Archibald Alexander, used to say to his students. He would say this, be alarmed when your private devotions become formal and uninteresting. Be alarmed if your private devotions in the Word of God are not resulting in praise and worship. Be alarmed. You say, where does this come from? Let me just back up a little bit. Peter has just preached. Okay, Look at the text. He stands up in verse 14 with his, he lifts up his voice and he addresses him. He quotes from the prophet Joel, but I want to pick up there in verse 22. Verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He's saying this, that Jesus came, he was from Nazareth, God uh, proved his divine nature through the wonders and signs that he was doing. 
but he was delivered up according to this plan of God and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And basically Peter does not shy away from saying, you did this, you crucified him. If you skip down to verse 36, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter's saying, you're guilty. You're guilty of the crime of killing the Messiah, the one that came to save you. Now the Lord uses this sermon. Look at this. Look at verse 37. And they, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It was this idea that God had given them their Savior, the Holy God had given them a Messiah, and they rejected Him, and it struck them. They realized in that moment they were guilty that they were sinners, that they could not stand on their own innocence. They had none. And so they're cut to their heart and they're saying, what should we do? And could you imagine this? I, I know that every one of you who's uh, been, uh, been saved from your sin, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you know the feeling. The feeling is this, when you know the depth of your sin, you know the guilt you have as you stand before a holy God, you, you know that you've done terrible things and that you deserve God's righteous wrath. And then you hear these precious words that if you turn to Christ, that He will forgive your sins. He will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what was happening here. That they knew they were guilty and they knew they should be condemned. And then Peter says, listen, you can repent. You can trust in this Savior. He's alive now. You can put your faith in Him. And He will forgive you. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? It fire them up and the picture of this church who are these people these are people who have just received the gospel and it's so precious to them it's so glorious to them that they are praising god and they're praying to god and they're giving god the worship he deserves here if you want to grow in your affections for god and ensure that your knowledge doesn't just puff you up here's what you do is you reflect on the gospel you go back to the gospel. You walk in the gospel. You live and you breathe in the gospel. The gospel is not your get to heaven ticket only. The gospel is the atmosphere in which we live as Christians. We breathe it in. And then we exhale the life that's shaped by the gospel. We day by day remind ourselves who God is and who we are and what we deserve but what Christ has done in His life, death, and resurrection and ascension at the right hand of the Father. And then we walk by faith in the God who loves us and gave His Son for us. We've got to grow upward into worship and we must then let our hearts be kindled at the fires of the Gospel. This is where true worship comes from. True worship is not the result of mood music or a right key change or the right lighting in a room. True worship that's filled with awe and wonder that results in exuberant praise and thankfulness to God is the result of grasping the reality of what Christ has done for you. And so that's why we sing songs that are rich with gospel truth and rich with doctrine is because we're trying to fuel the flames of true Worship. Do we want to be a growing church? Then let's be a church that's growing in worship, growing upward 
in our love and affection for the true God. Thirdly, here's a third direction they're growing in. They're growing inward in the fellowship. This church is growing inwardly in the fellowship. Not inwardly like we're the frozen chosen and we don't care about anyone except us. Uh, inwardly in that they're actually demonstrating real tangible love in the way this church lives with one another. You see it all throughout. This might be the most prominent place that they're growing. You see this in verse 42, that they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teachings, but they also, it says here, the fellowship to the breaking of bread. That's probably their taking of communion together and the prayers. So they're, they're praying together as a church. It's all part of what they've devoted themselves to. You see there in verse, verse 44, they who believed were together. That word together is repeated a few times and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This wasn't done because they were forced to or coerced into giving all their stuff to the church. This was what they wanted to do because they loved God and it was overflowing in love of neighbor. Hey, every day of the week, they're attending the temple together, breaking bread in their home. So, so the church is gathering, but they're also scattering. Every day they're, with, they're, they're spending time in one another's homes, eating together, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. Isn't this a beautiful picture? Isn't this something to aspire to, church? This is a great picture that they're, they're, they're not just committed to truth. And they're not even just committed to an event on Sunday. They're also warm-hearted toward one another, sharing life together. You see these things. It's, it's supernatural. It's given by the Spirit. Watch what we say. I mean, they eat together. I like that one. We can apply that to our lives a lot, right? Get some good meals together. They prayed together. I hope this becomes increasingly a mark of our church that before service, after service, you look around, you see people praying together because they love the Lord and they love one another and they want to help each other. So they're praying, they're bringing their needs before the Lord. They're sharing possessions. They're, they're meeting needs. Also, this is something that we can continually grow in, right? As we get to know people, we're helping needs get met. They're in one another's homes. Hard to do that. They're more difficult than usual these days, but it should be the norm of a church to really share that kind of fellowship where we're with one another throughout the week. This is the kind of life together stuff we, 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 we long for. This is the kind of stuff that we want to be like. We want this to be cultivated in our church. God has created a system of help for you, Christian. An ecosystem in which you can grow. And that ecosystem is called the church. And to go outside of the church is to put yourself in a position where you cannot accomplish these things that God has for you to accomplish, and you cannot receive the help that you need. Paul Tripp has written about this in very convicting ways, and he tells a little bit of his own story. I'll just read his little mini autobiography here when he tells about the church that he grew up in and, and some of the ways that it lacked what a biblical church should be. He says, he says I was raised... I wonder if some of you might be able to identify with this. He says, I was raised in the Jesus and me, privatized, individualized Christianity of the fundamentalism of the 1960s and 70s. The closest our church got to an actual functioning ministry-oriented body of Christ was a rare pastoral visit and the Wednesday night prayer meeting. 
But no one knew my father and my mother. Oh, I mean, no one really knew them. No one had a clue that what was going on in our home. No one helped my father to see that or see through his blindness that allowed him to live a double life of skilled deception and duplicity. No one knew how troubled my mother was beneath her encyclopedic knowledge of Scripture. No one knew. We were a Christian family, an active active participation in a vibrant church. But what we were involved in lacked one of the primary and essential ingredients of a healthy New New, New Testament Christianity, a trained mobilized and functioning body of Christ. He says it was a Christianity devoid of Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and Hebrews 3. For much of my Christian life, I had no idea, listen to this, I had no idea that my walk with God was a community project. Do you realize that your walk with God is a community project? You need help. We need each other. I hope that we're growing into fellowship, deeper into fellowship with one another, relationships with one one another, holding each other up, praying for one another, asking each other good questions, stirring one another up to follow the Lord. Let's be practical real quick. What could you do in 2021? You could start by praying through your membership directory. You can pick up one of those and start praying through the membership directory every month great way to continue bringing before the Lord these people that you've committed to. You could show up a little extra, uh, a little early to church on Sunday. You could invite yourself into people's lives and take initiative and get to know new people and pray for them. Take initiative. Introduce yourself. Get to know them on a deeper level. You could, if you want to be more hospitable this year, here's a thing you could consider. It's put a little more budget into your, in, or a little more money into your budget for food so you can afford to have people over and share your food with them. I mean, practically, hospitality can be expensive, right? You're always hosting people, having people over. Well, maybe you could plan for that and say, well, okay, well, if I want to have people over, we can plan that way. Maybe you could do this. Maybe you can ask a wise Christian friend, a brother, a sister that you know and you trust to be a little more intentionally intrusive in your life. Invite them in and say, it's all yours to to, to look at. Ask me the hard questions. Help me see the blind spots. Grow deeper with one another this year. That's not the only way they're growing. This is the last direction we see of the growth. They grow outward into witness. I love uh, Mark Dever's subtitle to his book on the church. The, the name of the book is The Church. The subtitle is The Gospel Made Visible. Verse 47, you see it. Praising God and having favor with all the people in the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see this amazing devotion to truth and this worship of God and the fear that, and wonder that comes over all the people and this amazing Uh, compelling fellowship becomes a beacon of light into the community that they say, I want to be part of that. What's going on with them? I want in on that. And so people are joining the church every day because they're seeing such amazing power on display in the lives of these people. You see, we need this gospel doctrine. 
and we don't want to stop there. We, we explode into worship and we love one another. And as we do this, it becomes something that the world wants and values. And we begin having this witness in our community. Titus chapter 2, you can jot this down, verses 9 and 10. He speaks about the, the Christians and he calls them. He says that they, he wants them to act a certain way in pursuit of holiness. But listen to what he says, so that. Why, why should they pursue holiness? Listen to what he says. So that in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of our Savior. Adorn the doctrine. So, so there's doctrine, but then there's adorned doctrine. There's beautified doctrine. There's doctrine that is removed from just cold hard fact, and it's put on display as a beautiful and compelling picture of the truth. This is, this is what the church is, is there's all kinds of invisible abstract realities. And then you're supposed to be able to come into a church and go, oh, that's what that is. See, we talk about sacrificial love. The sacrificial love of Christ. And that can be really hard for someone to understand. And then they show up the church. And they see young men giving up their Friday night to go care for a widow. And they, they see differences set aside for real, deep fellowship. They see people inviting others into their home and sacrificing time on a Saturday to help another move or giving extra to a person in need when they're going through a difficult time. And the people see them, they go, oh, that's what sacrificial love is like. And it helps them grasp the gospel. You see, you need the doctrines to be made clear, but the lives that we lead are also testifying to the reality of the gospel. And that's what's happening in this church. The church is growing outward into worship because it has taken in the truth. It has gone to God in worship and affection. It's grown inward to love and care for one another. And because of all these things, there's shining light in the community and people want that and because they want it, they come in, they say, what is it that you have? And what does the church say? They say, we have a living Savior. We have a living Savior. And here's how you can know Him too. Grace Rancho, we want to be a growing church in 2021. And like I said at the beginning, I'm not talking about numbers. If the Lord adds more people to our number, praise the Lord. We'll, we'll praise the Lord for that. But before we're a growing number of people, we're a number of growing people so how are you going to grow in 2021 how are you going to grow in your commitment to doctrine and truth and the teachings of scripture how are you going to devote yourself to god's word like this early church did how are you going to grow upward into worship and to let the truths you're learning humble you and raise your affections for god how are you going to grow in fellowship and deepen your love and commitment to the people God has put around you? And as you're doing those things, how will you take steps forward to be a shining light in the places God has put you? I hope that you talk about these questions with some people, maybe today, maybe with your family, maybe with other people in the church that you know and trust. And you can ask yourself this question, well, what are you doing this year? Maybe we could do this together. I wouldn't want someone to be running eight miles ahead of everyone else saying, here's how I'm growing and everyone else is left behind. 
I would want that person. If you're really eager to grow, grab some people with you. That might slow you down a little bit. But God cares most about this whole of us all moving forward together. Maybe you grab arms with someone. You say, hey, we're going to grow together. What are you doing this year? How can we help each other? How can we be praying for each other? One of the things I wanted, we wanted to do to encourage you this year is to give you a little resource. On your way out, Mark already mentioned it, you can grab a copy of the little booklet. It's only about 30 pages. It's called Christ and Your Problems by Jay Adams. Uh, take one for your family. If you really do need more than one for your family, you can take another. But at least take one if you'll read it. You could read it in one sitting. I read it last night again and enjoyed it again. It's, it's really small, but don't let that fool you. It packs a punch. It could change your life. Here's what I want you to do. Take that book and spend some time in the next week, couple weeks, maybe the next month, and carve out some time and read it. If, you're, if you have older kids in your home that could handle it, maybe you read it with them. Maybe husbands and wives read it together. Maybe a brother finds another brother in the church. You guys get coffee and you sit down and read it over the course of an hour. Or a sister uh, comes over to another sister's house and you just sit there on your couch and read it over the span of an hour. It's not a lot of work. It's not a lot of reading. But the truths contained can help us think through how we're going to grow together in Christ. And so I want you to take that book as a gift from us to you. And as you read through it, I want you to be thinking about how the Lord wants you to grow in 2021. And make some plans. Talk to some brothers and sisters and let them in on your, your, your desire. Ask for prayer. Get these truths into your bloodstream. Get some people to help. And let's run our race, like Paul says, to win. Let's be a growing number of people this year because Christ is worth it and because we want to be the kind of church that reflects the greatness of who he is to the community he's put us in. So on your way out, now there'll be some men over here that can help you grab one, take one. It's yours. And let's be praying together that God would grant us a year, even though it might not be easy, it might be hard, it might be harder than 2020, who knows? But we know that God is on the throne and that we want to be a people who seize the moment to grow in the character that God wants us to grow in. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we sit here and think about the ways we want to grow. We want to know you. We want to love you. We want to love one another. We want to be faithful witness in our community. And yet the words that you spoke all those years ago that are in John 15 that they ring in our ears. You said that apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, we can do none of this apart from your help. And so we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, help. Lord, grow us. Lord, work in us. Lord, do things we cannot do for ourselves and conform us into your image and likeness. And may our church be found faithful when you finally call us all home. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.